So before I get started this morning, I want to just recognize something. Um, any of you in here just completely exhausted? Just completely tired of the heat? Completely wanting the rain to come, right? But we want the right kind of rain, right? We don't want the torrential downpour of rain. We want the nice and steady, bring the, bring the whole uh, ecosystem back to what it should be. How many of you are just tired of trying to figure out what's actually going on in the world? Yeah, me too. But I, I, I really wanted to start with this, uh, this kind of an idea because it, it flows through what we're going to talk to talk about today. And it's really about the power of words. There's something about the power of words. We watch it, we engage in it, and we're either talking about a written word or a spoken word. And we find ourselves continually going, you know, some words that I experience, they bring me life. They bring me absolute joy. While others bring hurt. They bring disappointment. And sometimes the same words that are celebrated by one group are disdained by another. And what I want us to recognize is that no matter where we are in the continuum of words and how we receive them or how we give them, that God's people are supposed to be people that speak words of life. Words seasoned with salt, but that bring life. And so as we think about words and we kind of watch how it moves through the text for today, I wanted to give a little bit of a recap because we've been going at this for 10 weeks now. And this is week number 10 of the book of Hebrews. And really we started out with a very real understanding that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything, anyone, anything that you've ever experienced. Jesus Jesus is greater. Now, how you understand and view Jesus and how you submit to or what you do in relation to understanding that Jesus is greater, it all matters. It's all extremely important. In fact, I would tell you what you do with the understanding of who Jesus is, is truly all that matters. So as we understand that Jesus is greater, we also were reminded that Jesus never leaves and he never forgets us. Because Jesus has been there, he's been there in difficult situations. He's been there for pain, he's been through betrayal. All matter of human experience, Jesus experienced the the loss of a loved one. The pain, the hurt, the difficulty, the highs. But there's no valley too low, no mountain too high. And we're never beyond the reach of Jesus. And because of Jesus, you are a holy family. You are a citizen of heaven. Your citizenship is not of this world. In fact, it's in the world that is beyond this one. It's an adoption into the kingdom, the family of God. 
and that it's only found through the work of Jesus. If anyone tells you that you can be part of God's family through anyone but Jesus, they're not telling you the whole story. And then we understand that Jesus is better than our restlessness. Jesus is rest. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, we can then learn how to rest in him. In fact, we need to learn how to appreciate the un and understand a right view of obedience to God through Jesus because it's in that rest of obedience that we find the Sabbath rest that God gives us. Because when we learn to do as God says, we also learn that God can be trusted and that God is good. And as we learn how to rest in obedience, then we learn to strive for growth. In our relationship with God, we find ourselves oftentimes kind of shrinking back and not investing in it, but the whole idea, the whole concept of being a follower of Jesus is that you follow after Jesus in growth. The opposite of growth is decay. So if you're not growing, you are dying. Followers of Jesus must grow because living things grow and we become transformed by God's word. Now, as we strive for growth, we need to then frame it in the right context that Jesus is greater than the work of man's hands. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than any building that we can create. Jesus is greater. And understand that we can't find salvation through anything but Jesus. Your hands can't bring salvation. Your works can't bring salvation. And we asked a question about, have you made your relationship with God about the work of your hands? Have you made your relationship with God, your, your uh, uh, affiliation with the church, have you made it about your appearance? Have you made it about your effort? Have you been resisting the work of Holy, the Holy Spirit in your heart? And then we are challenged to apply the gospel in every area of our life, to, to really rest in this obedience and know that the gospel doesn't only apply to my salvation, the gospel applies to the way that I go about my day. It applies to the way that I go into my work, into my schooling. It goes into the way that I walk alongside someone who's hurting, somebody that is in need of grace and of mercy. It means that you open yourself to the opportunities that God puts in front of you leaning into them because of what the Holy Spirit has done in you. It's learning how to apply the gospel into our work, into our marriage, into our finances. Learning how our marriage can be better because we are trusting in Jesus. Even taking Jesus into our hobbies. And it's all about a faith that saves. And a faith that say, says fear must go and you are never alone. And that's the message that we need to speak to our community because there are so many that are fearful. They're in these spots where they don't know what's next. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what certain things that happen in the world around them mean. And they have fear. 
But we have Jesus, and Jesus is the one that gives us hope. He's the one that secures our future. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we will go through. He has been there. He has seen sin. He has tackled sin. He has defeated sin. So there's no reason to fear because Jesus has won. But sometimes we settle into apathy and Jesus is greater than apathy. He's greater than our tendency to shrink back, to not engage, to not be the people that God calls us to be. And we are encouraged to run the race, lean in because other people, they're watching. Your kids, they're watching. Your grandkids, they're watching. You need to be active in your faith. To be transformed, there it is again, transformed by the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to have a transformational relationship with Jesus. Jesus provides the power, he provides the plan for your life. And so today, we're finishing the book of Hebrews. And you're like, why doesn't he just do this every week? Like, he got through nine weeks in like four minutes. We could have already been at the buffet. We could have, you know, whatever, right? So today we're finishing the book of Hebrews. And it's going to be an amazing journey through the very last parts of of chapter 12. And we're going to kind of hit a couple of places in chapter 13. And what we need to understand ultimately is that Jesus is greater than all. He is greater than anything that you've ever experienced. He is greater than anything that you will experience. Jesus is the ultimate reality of our lives because it's only through Christ that we have a right standing with our Heavenly Father. Everything that is made, everything that has been made, is sustained through His power and His presence. And so our response should be to worship with all our life. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 28 says, therefore, now when you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for? And it's there for a reason because in that section right before it talks about the voice of God words. The power of God. It talks about Moses and how the word of God is powerful and how through all the things that God's activity, that things have been changed. And he talks about Jesus and what his role is. And therefore, because of God's great power, because of Jesus, because of everything that's been told to us in the the preceding 11 chapters, therefore, Let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, because God's voice has been heard and it was heard perfectly through the work of Christ on the cross. Judgment, he says though, it's coming. There will be a time, the writer says, when the whole earth will rattle, will shake. Kingdoms will be destroyed and be undone. And every kingdom but one will be destroyed. Jesus purchased your entrance 
not into the kingdom that will be broken, but to the kingdom that will never be shaken. And it's in that that we find our biggest hope because if we have a hope that we will be entering into a kingdom that regardless of what happens, regardless of words spoken, regardless of activity of others, this kingdom will never be shaken. It will never be knocked off its pedestal. It will never fall. This kingdom, our entry fee was the blood of Christ. Did you know that there's going to be a time There's going to be this time where eternity and the temporal, eternity and time, they're sifted. Time will go away and all you're left with is eternity. There will be a day that at that moment, everything that's been stuck in time will no longer be and the only things that last are the ones that are bound by the blood of the lamb in eternity. And there can only be one response. There can only be one response to that amazing truth. And the writer continues, and let us thus offer to God acceptable worship. Our response to the the beginning of eternity, our response to the sifting of time away, our response to what is happening in the world and will happen when the judgment of God comes on this world, you know what our response to those who are in Christ is to, number one, give thanks. Give thanks. God, I am grateful for what you did through your son, Jesus. And the second response is worship. Now, you may not have realized this, and you may not actually know this about about yourself, but if you are not grateful it's hard to offer worship. Think about in your own time and being in church and being in a worship service or even going uh, in, a, in a prayer to your heavenly father. In the times where you're living in a spot where you're actually not grateful, how's your heart of worship? Worship begins with a heart that is grateful. So if you think that you get the short end of the stick, if you think that you get the short end worship, it's not going to come easy. If you think that, that in the moment that everything's stacked against you, worship isn't going to come easy. Disgruntled people, guess what? They're never pleased. Disgruntled people are never in a spot where they are actually satisfied. Did you know that, that I think maybe there's two times in the whole uh, series of Winnie the Pooh that Eeyore actually had a good day? I mean, his, his whole phrase was, have a good day if there were such a thing, right? And we have people that live their lives in, in that way. They're like, if I could have a good day, that'd be great, but it'll never happen to me. And how can you come to your heavenly father, the one that created everything and called it good? How can you come to your heavenly father and offer him worship if you don't have a heart that has gratefulness in it? Because praise never comes if you're never pleased. 
So the writer says, offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Give God what is due him worship. Worship him. Call him worthy of your awe, worthy of your worship, worthy of your reverence, worthy of your bowing of knee, worthy of praise from your lips, worthy not because of anything, but that he is God, that he is the sustainer, the redeemer. Oh, but he's also the judge. So we need to offer acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. And I want you to know that this is no small matter. This is not careless worship. This is not, this is not the kind of worship where you're just like, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 yeah. God, you're good, you're good, you're good. You know, whatever, uh, pass, pass a biscuit, right? You know, God is great, God is good. Thank you for this food, right? We find ourselves really passing on opportunities to worship because we become careless in it. Because we don't come to our heavenly father with a heart of gratefulness of true thankfulness. We don't come to our heavenly father with, this is important, a repentant life. You say, how can I have thankfulness when I don't feel God? Well, let me ask you a question about your heart. Do you have a repentant heart? Do you understand how far your heart has been from your heavenly father and that it's only through the work of Christ that you have an opportunity to stand in his presence? A repentant life, that means one that's turned from a life of sin, a heart that rests in obedience through Christ. A heart that doesn't just go through the motions because worship is our offering to our Heavenly Father. Now, when I say worship, you always think a song. But when I say worship, I mean the way that we go about our life, the way that we sing, yes, the way that we pray, yes, the way that we read the scriptures, yes, the way that we use our money, the way that we go about our job, the way that we interact with our family, the way that we speak to our spouse, the way that we do anything in life is an offering of worship to our Heavenly Father. We need to view our lives as a channel of worship to our God. Living a life with gratitude, with passion, with thankfulness, with obedience, with praise, with an open heart, with an open mind, with an open soul that says, God, I want to be transformed in my very inmost parts so that I may worship you with everything that I have, everything that I am, because worship is to offer all of me. And I wish that I had known that sooner. I wish I had been younger. I wish I had known that before I made my choice of where I would go to school the first time. I wish I had known that when my parents got a divorce. I wish I would have known that my response to my heavenly father was to worship him with every bit of me that the acceptable act of worship is to offer 
myself, being a living sacrifice, one that is being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit because our God, oh, he's good, but our God is also a consuming fire. Because you know what? When time is torn from eternity, the God of the universe will enter onto this stage as the one who sifts, the one who separates, the one who consumes, the one who draws near. He will separate everything. And those who are not covered by the blood of Christ, you know what happens? They will be consumed by the fire of a holy God. Drawing near to God through Jesus then becomes definitely good news. Because that means when eternity remains, there is a place for you. Because in Christ, we have what we have all been longing for. What those who came before us and those who come after us have been longing for is this. For we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. The tension that we live in right now is this already but not yet. This understanding that there will be a time where we are judged. There will be a time when everything is made right. We live in this tension. And the already but not yet. And here's what I think. I watch this and I engage in this and, and I, I understand this about us as we age and as we get older and, and particularly as we reach um, what we call the golden years of life. As we get older, our desire for the home that is not here gets stronger. Because through our life and our interaction with everything that we've encountered, we understand finally and fully that this city, this place, it was never home. And what we long for is the unshakable city. We long for the restored kingdom of God. We long for this unshakable City, the one that will never be dislodged. The new Jerusalem. And oh, as the golden years come, you find out that it is just on the horizon. And you look forward to the eternal city that will come. Through him, that's through Jesus, let us then offer up continually a sacrifice of praise to God. Our praise, our worship to God must be continual. That whole idea of lifestyle evangelism, it's talking about living a life that is of worship, not of not talking about Jesus and just doing good deeds. It's talking about living a life that is worshipfully engaged and continual. Through Jesus, and that's very important that our worship, we understand that our, our worship is through Jesus. Because you're, off, you're offering a worship on your own, on your own power. It's not. It's not enough. It's 
It's only through Christ that our worship becomes pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Continues and says, our worship, that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul says that if you publicly profess Jesus with your mouth, right, that you will be saved. And here's where I'm pulling in this connection with the power of words and our use of words in our life. It's this, our mouths, they publicly proclaim the fruit of our hearts. Now, some of us are going, "Uh uh-oh, because we just made the connection. What fruit is it that comes from your lips? What kind of fruit comes from the words that you speak? What type of worship flows from your lips? Let me give you some scenarios. How is your worship in traffic? How is your worship when your son or daughter did not do what they said they would do? How is your worship when you encounter somebody that disagrees with you and you with them? Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty certain that there's still a lot of room for renovation in my heart. There's still a lot of room for the changing of the words that come from this, these lips because it just reflects what's going on inside my heart. So here's what I want to encourage you in this, in this today. Be mindful of the power of the words that you use. Be mindful that the words that you use, that you choose to come past your, as the wind goes through your vocal cords, right? Wind, the air, whatever it is, right? Sometimes I've been called a windbag. But <laughs> as the air goes through the vocal cords and it creates these vibrations, which then becomes sound as your mouth and your, your lips and everything form all of these syllables and all of that stuff, as it works, and that, isn't that an amazing testimony of the power of God? how cool he is that we can do these things, right? But as those things happen, what is the fruit that is given? Is it the fruit of life or is it poison? It's only through the transformation of your heart that you find the fruitfulness of your lips increase. Do you acknowledge, do you acknowledge Jesus with the speech of your heart? The writer of Hebrews continues and says, do not neglect to do good and to share the things that you have. Don't be satisfied with just the fruit that comes from your lips. Instead, do good things. Share And I think this is wonderfully timely encouragement 
as we continue to try to figure out how do we engage in a world that continues to change and surprise us, as we feel that we're up against insurmountable odds, we feel that things are a little bit tighter than they ever have been, our response as people of God is to do good, to share. God is pleased with those who do right. God is pleased with those who meet the needs of others. And this is a gospel-driven desire and kindness to care for one another. It's living out the gospel, doing good, sharing, speaking words that bring life. Do good, share, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God is pleased with our simple acts of love. He is pleased with our interactions bathed in love and grace and mercy to one another, our actions to our community, our love towards those who see things differently than we do. Our Heavenly Father is pleased when we do good to the least of these. And the writer of Hebrews then brings the letter to a close. He says, now may the God of peace, because of Jesus, we can actually call God a God of peace because we don't have to hope for, we don't have to strive for, we don't have to create, we don't have to work to make our relationship with God a reality. It's only through the work of Jesus that we can say the God of peace. And God will respond with peace towards us through Christ because our status with him is guaranteed. It's assured in Jesus. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, why are we talking about this? Because it's only we're only talking about Jesus because he defeated death, right? We're talking about Jesus because the resurrection is central to our faith. It is the foundation of our faith. Jesus lives. Jesus is alive and he gives us the assurance of eternal life. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus cares for you. Jesus, like a good shepherd, defends you. He gives you provision. He leads you to the places you should go. He is the great shepherd. And his love for you, oh, it runs deep. By the eternal blood, by the blood of the eternal covenant, through the sacrifice of Jesus, God established an eternal covenant purchased by Jesus, by his life, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And this is a prayer. And it's my prayer for you that you know that God equips you through Christ, that God has been equipping you from the moment that you said with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins. And not only did he die on the cross and was buried, he did not stay dead. He rose again to give you hope for eternity. It's only through that. It's a, it's, it's a prayer that God 
would equip you through Christ in the power of Jesus to do good, to do the right things for the right reasons. We cannot please God without Jesus. Through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To Jesus Christ be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so as I close today, we need to understand that Jesus is greater than all. So you need to worship him with your life. So as we kind of process this today, a few questions that I think we really need to ask ourselves. What does your life say that you worship? What do your lips say about your heart? What does your life say that you worship? And what do your lips say about your heart? Final question. Is it time to reorder the worship that comes as an offering from your life? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may our lips bring forth life. Father, may the praise of Jesus be the words that are spoken. Father, may we learn to live our lives transformed. God, that we would give our whole life as an offering to you. Let our hearts overflow with your goodness. Let our actions be a conduit of your grace. God, let our very lives be a sacrifice, an offering to you that points to the truth, the reality that Jesus is good. God, may we one day learn how to live with our whole lives as an offering before you when we step across into eternity. God, may we then be complete in knowing how to be fully yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.